You're listening to The Big Cast, your source for the latest in financial technology. Brought to you weekly by the Best Innovation Group with your hosts, John Best and Glenn Servati. Welcome to another edition of The Big Cast. My name is Glenn Servati on behalf of the Best Innovation Group, where we like to do cool things with financial technology and where we are still recoiling from a very busy and heavy travel-related conference season. We've got a couple more really good interviews that I picked up at the Nacha Payments Conference out in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be speaking with Elizabeth McQuarrie of Glenbrook Partners. She sits on the U.S. Faster Payments Council and has some data from their most recent research about the adoption of faster payments. And then a couple of gentlemen from companies Acoya and Banked who have partnered to offer a solution in the pay-by-bank space, which... I think is worthy of discussion in itself as a very interesting twist in a way that faster payments can be leveraged. So we'll be getting to that in just a bit. First off, just want to remind you, you can always find out more about the Best Innovation Group by visiting our website, big-fintech.com. You can always find more content from the big cast. We tend to have new episodes every Tuesday. You can find that on the media tab of the website, or you can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, A few, this is just, uh, every week I seem to keep saying the same thing. It's been just a crazy busy time with regard to news in the payments and fintech world. This week is no exception. Not going to get into a lot of details on these two, but uh, breaking news just over the course of the last 72 hours or so as we're recording. First Republic Bank, after a very tumultuous month and a half or so, has a new home. They, as of this morning, as I'm recording on Monday, are part of JPM Morgan, JP Morgan Chase. Um, interesting, as you probably saw last week, the, the die was pretty much cast when they put out their quarterly earnings release, they being First Republic, and announced that uh, the amount of deposit money that had flowed out of the bank, again, because they tended to have very high-value accounts that exceeded the deposit, the $250,000 FDIC-insured maximum, Uh, They had $100 billion uh, run out of their deposits, which was much more than had been anticipated by most of the analysts looking at it. Um, I have to wonder how much of that money already had been in J.P. Morgan Chase's hands even before this deal, if it was almost like an endgame that they were going to wind up with the majority of it. Because as we've heard, the, the biggest chunks of the money that's been running out of these Larger regional banks, which seems to be the main source of the concern, tends to be running to the quote-unquote too-big-to-fail banks on the belief that they are indeed too big to fail and therefore the government and the Fed would not allow them to uh, have those uh, those deposits go bad. So, I mean, I'm not sure we'll have the answer to that one, but obviously the First Republic thing. Now we'll see if the contagion has, can, has truly been contained at this point or if we're just going to move on to the next bank that people get concerned about. The other story that didn't get nearly as much attention that broke last Friday, which I think is going to have even more significant ramifications, at least in the fintech space specifically, and we'll definitely be following up on this, the FDIC issued a cease and desist order to to Cross River Bank. Uh, You may be familiar with Cross River. They are one of the leaders in offering banking as a service and enabling non-bank fintech companies you know, the, the cynical, view, cynical view that some people refer to it as rent a charter, basically, uh, without someone getting a banking license, basically having access to all the plumbing of the banking system through Cross River to provide their services. Um, not, I have not done enough reading up on this to see exactly what caused that to, uh, to take place. 
Uh, they are under you know, orders not to offer any further such services. I don't know exactly if there were specific relationships they were unhappy with or the terms of some of them, but that could potentially have a pretty chilling effect in a shift to the way that non-bank fintechs engage with the marketplace. So certainly more to come on that one. I also want to mention, again, uh, a service that we offer here through the Best Innovation Group, along with our friends at CU Broadcast, the CU Town Hall. We had a really good one just last week. You can catch a replay of that if you go to cutownhall.com. Pretty easy uh, URL to remember, but we'll post that on our in our show notes as well, which you can pick up either at the Best Innovation Group website or by clicking through wherever you're listening on uh, on your on your podcast app. Uh, we had Joey Rudisill from uh, Central Willamette Credit Union continuing our analysis and kind of the you know exploration of the impact of ChatGPT uh, potentially to the credit union space in a variety of different ways, both positive and negative, both customer facing and back office. Uh, that's kind of been a continuing conversation we've been having. And based on the attendance of this one, it's uh, certainly still one of great interest because it uh, drew a nice crowd and I think is worth checking out if you want to see the replay. Unfortunately, if you do that, you can't uh, offer up questions as part of the in interactive aspect of it, which I think is a very important part of the overall conversations. And if you want to do that, we got another um, version session of the town hall coming up toward the end of May. Go to that same website, cutownhall.com, and request an invitation. No, no fee, just need to register in advance. Was at another conference, yet again, we're going to get back to the Nacha payment stuff just in a bit, but I was at another conference which took place in my backyard here in Atlanta, Georgia, ETA Transact, a more credit card, or, or I should just say card in general, card-specific conference, uh, and picked up some really good stuff there. One, A couple of observations I had that I thought was interesting. Um, Go back a couple years and crypto or cannabis was all the rage and there were packed rooms listening to things about cannabis banking. Uh, I've noticed that that seems to have dropped off somewhat, even as you know the, the, the regulatory environment really at the federal level hasn't changed, but at the state level has been much more permissive as time goes on. I found it interesting that in the sessions that were offered at this ETA conference, a card-based conference again, uh, the cannabis sessions drew significantly bigger crowds than the crypto sessions. And if you think about it, I guess that makes sense because in the cannabis space, given that there's now a lot more commercial activity going on there, there's probably a, a lot more near-term opportunity and pain points to be solved because you still can't use your credit card. You got questions of, okay, do you just station an ATM there and then transact in cash? Uh, they got into the conversation that, you know, even that arguably, if you really wanted to take a hard line, could uh, run into uh, run afoul of some um, reg some regulations. Anyway, the crypto sessions were not empty by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the first time I've been to a conference in probably the last 18 months or so where the cannabis piece was a prominent part of the agenda and a very popular part of the agenda, too. On the crypto side, the other thing that came up there, and I guess it was breaking news because I just took a look and it, it just got approved over the course of the last couple of weeks, new regulation through the European Commission uh, called, they're referring to it as MICA, M-I-C-A, which is the Markets in Crypto Assets uh, Regulation. Uh, it's uh, a framework, I think you could probably say, that helps to set the ground rules. One of the complaints about crypto, obviously, is that no one really knows what the rules are. And we've been battling back and forth even on what agency in the U.S. is going to take the lead in putting those together. 
Well, the European Commission seems to have put a stake in the ground, at least with a version that people can start thinking and looking at. Um, I would draw a comparison maybe to GDPR, which got a lot of press a, a while back, uh, which when you really kind of follow that one forward, you can say that was clearly the model and the, the blueprint that created CCPA, the California, California Consumer Privacy Act. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, at this point, it seems like, you know, they're the first mover now, they being the European Commission. So, you know, if that's the de facto standard that we start iterating from, It'll be interesting anyway. I've, I've posted a link to uh, one of the better analyses I've seen from BNP Paribas, still relatively short. Doesn't go into effect until the end of 2024. You know, the wheels turn slowly on this stuff, but uh, it's, it's out there and uh, worth looking at. Another thing in the payment space that came up, and we had this conversation, and this will lead in nicely to my conversation with Elizabeth McQuarrie and Faster Payments. We talked about the different Faster Payments rails that are available, and you've obviously got FedNow going live in the middle of this year, competing with the Clearinghouse's RTP, Real-Time Payments Network. Uh, and you know, then on top of that, we get into the conversation about same-day ACH, which is not real-time, but is still faster, as, as we'll talk about with Elizabeth. Uh, another player that I really didn't mention in the conversations last week, and by the way, I will post a link to uh, last week's episode as well, because there was some other great content that we uh, tracked down coming out of uh, Nacha Payments. Visa Direct, uh, was I, they were on stage as well at Nacha Payments, but they were even more, in my mind, prominent at ETA, again, because it's a card network conference, pretty much kind of waving their hands saying, don't forget about us. We've been doing this for some time and we got a fair bit of volume going already, particularly if you want to be looking at an international uh, con context for these things. But with all that said, the U.S. Faster Payments Council, this goes back to the Nacha Payments Conference, they have just released some new research that they've done about the progress of faster payments. Elizabeth McQuarrie sits on their panel and uh, she spoke at the conference and uh, shared some of those thoughts with us right here. I'm with Elizabeth McQuarrie, a partner at Glenbrook Partners. Uh, she was also on the panel uh, speaking about the barometer of faster payments. She's heavily involved, as is Glenbrook Partners, with the U.S. Faster Payments Council, and they've actually been the ones uh, administering the barometer on behalf of the council. Elizabeth, thanks for taking the time. Uh, interesting stuff. Good timing uh, with the, the results coming in just in time for Nacha Payments last week. Yeah, Glenn, always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. So the Faster Payments uh, Council, I, you know, I, I kind of thought of it in suddenly thinking kind of through this, you're almost kind of like the United Nations of payments to some extent. I talked to Reed Lutanen a couple uh, a, a couple months ago. We had him on the show, and I think one of the things that is a real you know distinctive value that this, this council brings to the table is the one place where all the different constituencies are kind of at the table together. Right? You've got the banks, you've got the merchants, you've got the the processors and the providers. It's not just one voice with one kind of set of motivations in the mix. You know, that's absolutely right. That's a fun uh, analogy. And I think it's, uh, you know, pretty accurate in the sense that we not only have all the stakeholders in the payments value chain, except for end users uh, that aren't businesses, because we know we have some merchants and large businesses at the table, but we also have all types of faster payments, right? So we have multiple push uh, credit transfer transaction providers with different rails. And that's what we, you know, all that comes together in the Faster Payments Council. 
And, and speaking of that, I mean, with the focus lately has been on instant payments where you've got RTP and you've got Fed now, but you know, I always kind of look back also, I, I think the same day ACH is being part of that process as they add more windows too. I mean, this question is just what's the need for speed? You've got, you know, depending on what you need to do, if you can get things settled on the same day, that may do the trick too. Is that, that's also part of your, uh, your definition? That's part of the Faster Payments Council's definition, yes. So we not only include, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the credit transfers of same day ACH, but we include Zelle as well as uh, push to card and other sort of digital wallets. Because, you know, when you look at the stakeholders and what they're doing out there in the, the marketplace, all of these are expressive uh, in different uh, verticals. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Now, the barometer itself, I think, did you say, was this the fourth time that you've put this thing in the field? How, how long back, what, what's your time series that, that you've got that you can kind of look at the trends over time now? How far yeah, back? Yeah, so that's, that's right. It's the fourth one, really, kind of when the Faster Payments Council got started. I believe that was 2019. We did, however, skip 2022 because there just wasn't so much going on in the market last year in terms of newness. Yeah. And I'm not even sure when we made that decision if we knew exactly when FedNow was gonna come into the market. So it was good timing to sort of pick this back up and we'll have four data points. Um, and what you saw at the NACHA payments conference and in our uh, session, was actually sort of flash results because we only finished uh, the data collection very recently. And we're going to do a deeper dive and you know cross tabs and other breakdowns on all these data. And there'll be more data uh, points as well uh, in, I think in June at the Faster Payments Council Town Hall. Oh, perfect. So, I mean, what I saw was, I think, 427 respondents. And again, as we say, given the different constituencies and stakeholders, call them uh, appropriately, you know, only 30% of the respondents are financial institutions, which is usually where my head kind of reach, uh, you know, immediately goes toward. But a lot of the early stage, you know, kind of preparation goes through the facilitators and the network providers, right? And what we're looking at is the degree to which these different players are already in a state of implementation or whether they intend to in the near future. Can you say a bit about how it breaks out between those different groups? Yeah, I think that uh, we that was right around 30% financial institutions. So uh, commercial banks and credit unions of different sizes would go into that category. And we had a, a similar number close to that for facilitators or intermediaries. And that's probably where the real uh, sort of second stage work is is going on, right? Helping those financial institutions get ready to go to market. But we also had about 10% uh, payment network operators. So we, we have variety of representation here. And then the business end users, they're also there. Uh, we had around, I think around 15% of those responding. And I'm guessing the businesses, they would, you know, if, if they want to be participating, they've got to really, you know, egg on their, their financial institution or change to a financial institution that offers the service, right? If that is exactly right. <laughs> so, you know, we're coming up, well, obviously, one of the things I thought was pretty interesting was there wasn't a big difference as far as I saw the data between the amount of implementation with RTP versus the amount of implementation with FedNow. 
which on first glance I thought was almost counterintuitive because FedNow isn't live yet. It's still only in pilot. But as you pointed out, as, as we were kind of chatting before we started the segment, you know, this is an early adopter group. You're really talking about some of the more forward thinkers. It's a self-selection, uh, this barometer in terms of people who respond. So you're more likely to be getting people who are probably part of the FedNow pilot? Yes, I think that's absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, we'll be the first ones to say that the barometer is not a scientific survey, right? Uh, we, it is the, if you will, the responders of the uh, innovators in the industry, the first movers. And, uh, but even though it's not, uh, you know, a strict survey in that sense, what it has done is really in the past, at least, tracked industry sentiment. And so it does that very well. And kind of uh, the barometer where the winds are blowing uh, has always been aptly you know, described here. I'm curious if you came away with the same thought that I did. I mean, it's kind of common sense. But what I saw on the ground at Nacho Payments was that we're kind of developing, you know, a middleware kind of layer that a lot of the providers and the facilitators are creating, because there's no reason that the end users, the people who are actually the payors or the payees, don't want to worry about, gee, should I use FedNow? Should I use RTP? Which bank's going to accept which? They're basically setting up, you know, solutions that will run either set of rails and just get the payment done on an instant basis without having to think about you know, which set of rails they're using. Is that, do you kind of feel that that's kind of the end game we're working toward? I certainly agree that that's the end game, uh, you know, since we're going to have multiple you know, national uh, instant payment systems. Um, we'll have different flavors of that as well. And so these providers, intermediaries are really trying to take the complexity out of all of the the signups, sometimes, you know, least cost routing, things yep. like that. But in, in the interim, in this interim, it's going to be a long time, I think, that, you know, they're also having to decide where the payment can go, right? So, you know, if I'm a financial institution and I'm working with one of these intermediaries and I want to have all these options, I still have to be... Uh, a member of, uh, you know, a, a FedNow participant, an RTP participant, a Zelle participant, a same-day ACH participant. So, because the financial institution obviously still needs to be a part of all of these payment systems. And only then can that be another layer of uh, decisioning about where these payments can go. Well, it, it, like we often say, it's a long road to ubiquity, I guess is what it comes down to. Well said. And and I guess the, the one place that I guess the, the government's trying to prime the pump is by the U.S. Treasury using this. So if they're going to be pushing out payments this way, that creates a little bit of an added inducement for different financial institutions, at least on the receive side, to make sure that they can get out there. That Absolutely. That's a, a really important, I think, bellwether that the Treasury is uh, engaged at this early stage and uh, thinking about, you know, where their first, uh, you know, entry point here will be. I, I remember when I was uh, in the retail payments office at the Federal Reserve here in Atlanta, some of the lunch counter conversations used to be around, uh, you know, how hard it was in the beginning of the ACH network to get 
financial institutions, even on as receivers. But when the treasury entered the picture, the dynamic changed completely. Someone learned, learned that we can re retrace those steps. That makes sense. So with, with Fed now launching in July, and I don't know, I'm just asking you to speak for Elizabeth McQuarrie, and I don't know if you, I don't think you're in a position if you want to speak for the Faster Payments Council or Glenbrook, but looking in your crystal ball, what, what do you expect? How, how do you think this is going to play out in terms of adoption over the course of, I don't know, the, the second half of 2023, or you know, when, when's the next barometer you'll be doing? What, how much of a difference do you expect to see? Yeah, certainly this would be, uh, you know, a personal view from Elizabeth. And I think that we are going to see a tremendous amount of excitement around FedNow. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, the market's going to shape itself considerably in the second half of the year when FedNow comes into the market in July. What I, um, I, I expect a lot of forward movement, if you will, in the space in Q2, or no, excuse me, second half of the year. What I think I'm most concerned about is what happens after this sort of initial phase uh, where the pilot members or the fast followers, uh, they get into the system. Most of them are going to be receivers, Yeah. right? Uh, so who's going to be sending the payment? Uh, they may be facilitators enabling um, fintechs, right? Everyone says that the first day you come onto the RTP network, you're already getting, uh, you know, payments. So that's clearly through other business enablers out there. But, you know, we've got a, a long way to ubiquity in even a single one of these payment systems, much less the, the entire class. Now, this wasn't in your session, but I was kind of surprised I heard it was Dan Gonzalez from the Fed in one of the other sessions mentioned that kind of the estimate that he's coming up with is it's probably going to be about 90% of the institutions, you know, at the starting gate will be doing receive only, which I thought, wow, that's a pretty small number. But then doing a bit more digging, I discovered that even after the time, how long has uh, RTP been in market now? I think five years, six years, they're still only at about 10% that are doing the sending. Now, I guess it depends on how big the institutions are doing the sending, but that was that was a surprise to me. So I guess even 10% was enough to kind of get the market kind of priming the pump to get moving forward. Is that ring true? Yeah, I, I think, you know, 10% sounds like a, um, a very low number of uh, originators. Uh, however, you know, obviously it has helped uh, the RTP network get where it is. And I think that it's really these sort of business end users, particularly gig economy and instant payouts of smaller amounts, seems to be what is really, you know, it's a casual observation, obviously, what's going over the RTP network. And we don't know if FedNow is going to be any different. And that's where the real lift is going to be to get the market moved into more senders as well as you know, getting financial institutions to originate their own transfers here, not just for um, you know, uh, some sort of uh, app, that sort of thing. And there's nothing wrong with those payments. I'm, I don't mean to suggest yeah. that at all. It's just uh, not going to cause a flourishing ecosystem. Yeah, that's, that's just one niche, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
Well, appreciate your insights on this. I know the Faster Payments Council has a very robust website with lots of use cases, case studies, different resources out there. Is are, are these flash results out there yet? Or and I guess when you do the next layer of, of detail on them, will they be posted out there? C certainly, the infographic I believe is yeah. on the Faster Payments Council website. Um, I would assume that the um, you know the conference session will be on there soon. And I do believe that we are going to do another um, release, a high level release uh, when we have the town hall. But I believe also that it's an incentive to join the Faster Payments Council, right? To get the full breakdown of the data. Good point, good, good, good opportunity to, to, to fit in that plug. And if people want to find out more, the, the website or the address, what's the best way to, to find out the, the additional information? I think uh, fasterpaymentscouncil.org, you know, they're very responsive and uh, I'm sure there's a contact number there. If not, uh, I can help you with that. Wonderful. Elizabeth McQuarrie from Glenbrook Partners and also speaking here about the, uh, the Faster Payments Barometer from the U.S. Faster Payments Council. Thanks for taking the time, Elizabeth. Well, I hope to have this uh, part two conversation after the town hall. Perfect. Um, yeah. When you got the added detail, you said it's roughly June time frame? In end of June. Let's, let's book it now. Sounds good. Okay. All right. So as I said, I'll post a link to last week's session uh, interviews as well. Other great stuff on Nacha payments as well as specifically faster payments. Uh, and again, the Visa Direct piece gets to be kind of an interesting twist on that one too. Another session that I really was intrigued by uh, for a couple of different reasons uh, at Nacha Payments is the notion of pay by bank, which is a term that is apparently relatively common in European markets or non-US markets, I should say. And it's really not a brand new concept, but it's not a term we're big on using here. And it can clearly take another step forward being enabled by faster payments. There was uh, what was being couched, uh, there was a whole category of what they called topical talks uh, at uh, Nacha Payments. And it was uh, not a breakout session per se in that it wasn't in a conference room. It was almost kind of like the, the soft, comfy cushions and intended to be kind of a smaller fireside chat with a very interactive thing. The two that I went to, and the pay by bank was one of them, um, clearly, I think, had greater interest in demand than the, the folks at Nacha had expected because they were both packed to the gills with people kind of peeking in around the corners. Um, having said that, I think they were more interested in understanding what this pay-by-bank thing was all about more than really saying, hey, we already are all over this. And that's the conversation I had with a couple of people taking the lead in this space, Kawe Tazi and Florian Walls with Banked and Akoya, respectively. So let's have a listen to how they're coming at the, mar the U.S. market on this space. At the end of another busy day here at Nacha Payments, I'm here with Kawe Tazi, uh, who is uh, the head of payments for Banked, as well as Florian Wall, who's uh, heads up strategy for Akoya here in the United States. Uh, you both uh, co-led co a, a really interesting conversation yesterday about the pay-by-bank model, uh, which I thought was interesting because, you know, we by show of hands, the audience very heavily financially institution, I think about three quarters of the room at least. And I would say less than half was really familiar with the term pay by bank. So obviously it's not quite as well known, at least in the States, but 
maybe it is, but just not under that name. Kelly, maybe you can take that one because I know your you've, your company's had some success in other markets with this, right? Yeah. So people have been paying with their bank account in the U.S. for a long time. Yeah. We've all paid with our bills, you know, but uh, paid you know billers and various other merchants using uh, our bank accounts, but. It, the term pay by bank is relatively new and starting to gain traction in the U.S. In other markets, it's very, very advanced, right? Uh, banks, extremely large presence in the U.K. and in Europe. And there, in those markets, consumers are really used to doing pay by bank payments for all types of goods and services, e-commerce, point of sale. Um, and in other markets like uh, Brazil and India, right, you've even had situations where pay-by-bank payments have exceeded card in terms of And again, volume. you probably don't have as much of a card culture in these other countries to start off with. Correct, so. correct. And what you end up seeing is because they don't have the card infrastructure, they don't have the card uh, culture in those markets, they end up leapfrogging in yeah. terms of technology. Um, and in those markets, pay-by-bank has really exploded, and it's become a very common term. Here in the U.S., I think uh, it's a first uh, responsibility of the industry, of people like Florian and myself, to help educate people on what pay-by-bank actually is, how it's expanding from that experience that we've all had before of scrolling over the little question mark on our biller's website to see how to enter our routing number and account Mm -hmm. number into a much more user-friendly experience, logging in with bank credentials. Uh, And that's our responsibilities to help educate that. And uh, I think our session did a pretty good job for the people who are in the room. I think so. I think so. And, and Flory, your, your company, Akoya, actually provides some of the behind-the-scenes work on that. And I think, is it safe to say that it's the advent of open banking now, I mean, which has obviously yeah. been further you know, instituted in, in the U.K. And, and the European theater before? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what's making it more available here now. But you're originally from France, I believe. Yeah, right? that's correct. I'm originally from France. And I think, like Kerry mentioned, right, the, one of the rise of pay by bank we've seen in those jurisdictions are also kind of enabled by the open banking movements um, open banking in the UK, the PSD2 uh, in Europe, all of that kind of help power those uh, pay by bank use cases and that's what we're now seeing in the US right, Acquia helps power the account linking processes so Kawi was referring to the kind of the more seamless user experience instead of having to kind of key in your account number and writing number you can now just get redirected to your bank account, just authenticate their consent to share your data, and then if everything else happens in the background. Mm-hmm. So very seamless experience that just gets the user more engaged and the recurring aspects there as well. Now, Kelly, in your, your product, Bank's product, has been in the marketplace. Is it Australia, UK? You, you, that's where you've kind of gotten your, your greatest traction? Yeah, right? so UK and Europe has been the greatest traction, and uh, Australia and the US is where we're starting to grow now. Um, the, the, the launching in these markets is very interesting because the state of open banking in each of these markets is very different, mm-hmm. right? Extremely advanced in the in UK and Europe, uh, growing in Australia, pretty young here in the United States. And payments infrastructure is yeah. also very different, right? You've had FPS in the UK for 20-some-odd years. And you've had RTP in the U.S. just barely, right? You know, right, right, for about five years. And said now for a negative three months. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Although so, the, this solution works by ACH as well, right? Correct, correct. It does work by ACH, and I think that is where Bank's value proposition comes in. Is uh, each of these markets has to be solved differently. Each of these rails behaves differently, 
And the user experience that you need to be able to tie all of these things together on a global level is really um, piecing together a variety of different rails, value-add services, features, and experiences together to be able to give a seamless user experience wherever you are. That's what really makes pay-by-bank move forward in all of these markets is when you can have a user experience that's seamless, crisp, and fast to move forward. RTP, FedNow, ACH are all versions of pay-by-bank. Are you agnostic among the rails or how do you go about you know how, how the actual money moves absolutely our, our philosophy is paying with your bank the most the most straightforward way moving from one account directly to the other account that's the philosophy rtp fits that criteria FedNow fits that criteria ach fits that criteria and when FedNow and rtp have uh, experiences that are good enough for us to move forward that's when we'll start leveraging those more heavily but currently, ACH does uh, a great job with the risk rules that we've put on top of it. So, you know, kind of powered by Akoya, working together, and and I take it Akoya, you're also capable of any of those rails. You're you're yeah, we provide building. That's right. We provide kind of the data needed for a bank to be able to initiate those payments in any of those rails. I mean, we're talking about account number, routing number. When it comes to ACH, I think we you know, we build on top some kind of risk models that help navigate some of the the more drawbacks of the ACH model compared to some of the more instant rails, but you know, providing data such as you know, transaction history, what happened the last 90 days, what's the current balance on the account, things that help decision um, at risk. You know, can I move more instantly the, the money via ACH, or do I need to actually wait uh, for the couple of days mm-hmm. to settle? Um, so some of those data is what we kind of provide to And that bank. decisioning comes in through bank then, or through the merchant, how they choose to do it. Yeah, absolutely. We can either provide the information back to the merchant for them to make the decision, or we can apply our own risk rules on top of it and offer a sort of guarantee that those funds are going to settle. Uh, and it's all thanks to the data that Akoi is able to provide to us. Is, is it fair to say that you are launching in the U.S. because of the capabilities of open banking? Is that the reason that this is the time to come to absolutely. the U.S.? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now that, you know... Uh, Responsible players like Akoya have gotten direct connections to the banks to be able to share data securely through OAuth connections. That's really like a genesis that's going to start being actually more of a catalyst for open banking mm-hmm. in the United States. And that's really what's been pushing us to, to start launching with some exciting merchants here. And, and speaking of the merchants, that was one of the interesting things about our session. Kind of, I guess, from what I've seen, you know, one of the challenges, I'd say, of this conference is that we're very heavily focused toward the financial institution. Absolutely. Very few merchants are here. When I, and I think I actually asked this question during the session, the, the, I see the merchant value proposition here. I mean, cost of acceptance. This Absolutely. is clearly a, a great play for them. So I understand that one. Banks, I can understand, you know, in either direction. But the consumer at the end of the day is the one that has to make the decision of how to make the payment. You can make it available to them, but they're going to need to make that decision. I think we've, we talked about this yesterday, too. Credit carding, reward lovers, you know, people who are really motivated by rewards, reward chasers, they're probably off the table because they're going to want to use their cards. Um, so you're really working with you know, the debit. And, and this can be a point-of-sale solution, a physical point-of-sale, or uh, an e-commerce solution, too. It right? certainly can. So from a debit card standpoint, what is the kind of the thought process? Because you're going to have to get people off of their entrenched top-of-wallet credit, the debit card, and to move into this instead. So it can't just be as good. It has to be better. Yeah. How, how do you, or is it, is it the merchant providing additional incentives or how do they do that? 
Yeah. So first off, like I'm excited to redo this talk, Florian, at Money 2020, where there's a lot more merchants and we can have this conversation directly with merchants. So we'll repeat this one yeah. more time. I'll see you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the merchant value prop, as you mentioned, is very clear. It's very clear. The consumer value prop, uh, that's something that I don't think is talked about enough. And that's one thing that really is exciting about what Banked is doing is we have built-in incentives to our platform. And that's something that we've considered as top of mind for when you're moving these things forward. And it's almost a democratization of rewards, Right. Back to the days before Dodd-Frank and Durbin Amendment where there were reward programs. Exactly right. Exactly right. So you're taking consumers that are going to check out and they can either plant a tree or get carbon offset credits or get miles directly through that integration. And a consumer that, you know, over the past 10 years hasn't really gotten the benefits of rewards through their debit card now has an option that they can pay with their bank directly and get some form of rewards. And are you structuring those reward programs through bank on kind of a you know, syndicated basis or is that individually kind of programs that those merchants may set up themselves? Yeah, so both. Okay. Um, merchants can either set it up themselves with discounts, with cash back, with uh, things along those lines, and we can help them with those. And we have pre-built integrations to, you know, some, some uh Miles companies and some um, yeah, environmental partners. Yeah, to, the plant a tree solution. The plant a tree solution, sense. exactly. So how do you see, what, what, what kind of, you know, what's your horizon here? I mean, obviously you've got to get the merchant signed up. How, how, long, how long of a play do you think this is before this becomes a, you know, a meaningful piece of the, the payments equation? Yeah, I think it's uh, just around the corner. Um, I would say there's two big pieces that need to need to happen. The first is uh, I'd love to see more banks start offering and sharing their data through Acoya so we can take advantage of that and offer a really great seamless experience of linking their bank. And then second, it's uh, more education like this and getting it in front of merchants to say that this is an option, that this is available. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next you know three to six months, you start paying with your bank once or twice. And then in the next two to three years, you're paying with your bank quite frequently. And it's a matter of just seeing it available at the website or wherever exactly. else. Exactly. Seeing it. that button available. And, and Florian, you mentioned before, this is the, the, the roots of the, the company of Acoya started from Fidelity Investments. And, this is, and that was where the network to create the, the connections yeah, to all these institutions came from. And that's what enables you to do this? Yeah, that's correct. The, the, the Acquia spun out of Fidelity Investment with the mission to solve for screen scraping. So historically, you know, data aggregation or data sharing is nothing new. It's been here yeah. for like the last 15 years. What has been evolving since are the technologies and the ways that you can access those data. And tradition, traditionally, what we've seen is company use credential-based credential sharing to access uh, consumers' account information and you know, scrape the website and, and share that data. What's evolved in the last couple of years is the, you know, the open banking equivalent mm-hmm. in the U.S. with the APIs being made available by the institutions. So Acoya has been you know, created with the mission to help accelerate the transition to an API-based uh, open banking in the U.S. And you've already got a pretty strong reach. From what you've yeah, we have, we have a pretty strong reach. We have um, a lot, you know, most of the large U.S. banks on our network, which also are investors on, in Acoya. Mm-hmm. And we've also expanded that to some of the core providers um, to have you know, reached the longer tail of institutions a in the very, US. Very, very long very, tail. Exactly. Very, very long tail, but very important organizations to get also. Great. 
So if people want to find out more for Banked, what's the, the best way to get in touch? Website, best uh, source of Yeah, banked.com. You can see it all there. Reach You've out to us. banked.com. We do. That's impressive. We do. Banked.com or paybybank.com. Got them both. We got them both. Wonderful. And Akoya, if people want to find out more? Akoya.com. A-K-O-Y-A, right? Exactly. Florian Wall, Kawaitaze, thanks so much for taking the time. Interesting proposition and can't wait to see where this heads. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So with that, another episode of The Big Cast in the Books. Thanks to Elizabeth, Coway, and Florian for talking. Uh, and thanks also to the folks at uh, Nacha Smarter Faster Payments, as well as ETA Transact, for uh, helping us uh, track down these folks and get the, some great information uh, from, from their various panelists and just getting a, a basic sense of the, the vibe on the, the trade show floor and the convening of uh, all these groups in, in a very important and fast-moving space. Uh, no shortage of conversations. We talked about a lot of the breaking news. We'll probably be covering some of that uh, next week. And there's no shortage of uh, co uh, ongoing conferences. We seem to kind of be pivoting a bit more to client uh, conferences from specific uh, vendor providers now at this time of year, as opposed to the kind of broader writ large industry conferences. And those will pick up again toward the end of the year. I, I, I shouldn't say that. Finnovate, I think, is an industry conference. And uh, Finnovate uh, West is coming up in San Francisco toward the end of May, if, you're not, if you don't have that one on your calendar. Anyway, if uh, you want to find out more about the Best Innovation Group, big-fintech.com. If you want to find out more about our grand poobah, John Best, uh, Twitter at JBFintech. The broader Best Innovation Group is on Twitter at BigFintech. I am at 154 Advisors on Twitter. My name, again, is Glenn Sarvati. 154 Advisors is my firm, but I work closely with the folks at the Best Innovation Group, where we like to bring you the best and most interesting things going on in the credit union and financial technology space. And we'll be doing that again next Tuesday. So we hope you check in again. Until then, thanks for listening. Check back each week for the latest from the big cast. Or better yet, we hope you'll consider subscribing for free via Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at Big Fintech. Email info at big-fintech.com or visit us at big-fintech.com and click on the media tab where you can post a comment or check out our archive of hundreds of past episodes. See you next week.